Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today, we're talking with Yoan Delward, CEO and co-founder of Infinity Growth Limited, a Shanghai-based firm that offers sales coaching and consulting to a wide range of clients, including multinationals, startups, MBA students, and accelerators and incubators. We talk about the difference in working with startups and corporate clientele. We compare the historical methods of B2B selling in China to the way it's done today, the value of platforms like WeChat to the salesperson and the process, the difficult lessons Yoan faces coaching his clients, and how Chinese buyers differ from those in the West. Enjoy. I usually say in Europe, first you make business, then you become friends. And why I'm saying that, because I have done business with Europeans, Americans in Europe, uh, or even now with US, and this is the way it works. They contact you usually from LinkedIn or social media or someone introduce you. They ask you what you do. They seem convinced. They sign a deal. And then along the way, we, we start to become friends. So there is a relationship that is building. In China, first you become friends, then you make business. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Yuan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about who you are and some of your background about how you ended up doing so much business in China. Since this is an intro related to China, I will cut the first uh, 24 years of my life and just let you know what <laughs> happened in the last seven years, right? So I arrived in China February 2014, just after my engineering degree. So I did an engineering school in France. I'm an engineer by training, industrial engineer to be even more specific. And I arrived in China February 2014. So you might ask me, why did I come to China? And actually, the reason is very simple. I had a best friend. I still have my best friend, by the way. And he's the son of a pilot. And he traveled basically all around the world, more than 100 countries at the time. And I had a choice between two countries. The first one being US for a job near New York in the supply chain. And the second one to be a sales engineer in Shanghai. And I did both of my interviews in Poland, where I was finishing my study. And frankly speaking, I was drinking a lot of vodka at the same time. And I basically chose Shanghai because... My best friend told me at that time, and, and he was visionary, he said, listen, and if you go to US in 10 years, probably it won't change that much. But if you go to Shanghai in 10 years, I can promise you it will dramatically change. So from that point of view, I would suggest you to go to Shanghai because both of the cities are international, both are economically growing, but Shanghai will change a lot. So I choose Shanghai, yeah. mainly thanks to him, and also because I have never been to Asia before. And I think I did the right choice at that time when I look at how Shanghai was able to change in the last seven years. And a bit more intro about myself. So right now I'm married to a Chinese lady and I just had a daughter of five months. So I'm, I would say, very culturally involved in China, right? And uh, through my experience, <laughs> thank you so much. And through my experience, my first experience, I stay six years in the same company, uh, actually five years. 
in the same company. And uh, I grew from a sales engineer to a sales manager to a sales director. And I finished as a sales coach. And I will explain uh, why later on. And basically, I helped this company to grow from uh, about 10 people to more than 100 people in three years. So very fast scaling company, selling your software and also engineering services. And basically along that experience, I learned how to sell in China, or at least I learned a way to sell in China, because if I say how to sell in China, I think that that's a bit too ambitious. So that is more about my professional experience. And then in 2019, I became a mentor at China Accelerator, actually end of 2018. And that really gave me a different exposure because I had basically startups coming to me saying that they want to work with me to help them to grow their own sales too. So long story short, I started my own business with my Chinese business partner, who is also my best friend. Coming from the same hometown as my wife, for the little anecdote. And now we are basically a sales training, consulting and coaching company, helping and empowering our clients to get the sales they deserve. So that is about my professional background. And then on a personal note, uh, as I already said, I'm married to a Chinese lady. Have Actually, most of my friends are Chinese, thanks to um, Toastmasters. So this is an organization for public speaking, where I met so many friends. And also through my different uh, traveling and also um, events, I basically I met so many Chinese friends. So I'm I'm really engaged in the Chinese culture and it's a culture that I appreciate a lot. So that's a little bit more about the introduction of my staff. I'm sure you have follow-up questions. So it's going to be, a, you know, a lot of your background is going to be really apropos to this conversation because it's a lot of what we're looking to learn. Um, I think how to do sales and how to sell well in China is going to be fabulous. It's not something we've been able to cover a lot on the podcast. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And all of your cultural knowledge and understanding from all your time there and your personal situation, you know, being married to a Chinese woman and such, that's going to really add a lot of great flavor and color to the conversation. The company that you mentioned, it's called Infinity Growth Limited. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company introduction uh, or a little bit more detail about your work and just the relevance and the activities and the things that you're doing right now with that company? One thing I'd like to share, maybe to give a bit of background, is um, why we choose to start this company with my business partner. Actually, both of us have very strong sales backgrounds. So she has basically more than 15 years sales and she was a sales VP before. And I was, as I mentioned, a sales director. And it's been more than 10 years I touch sales. And, and it's just my passion. When I was basically at university, I spent my Wednesday afternoon doing cold call for basically selling a student fair in a non-profit organization. So I'm, I'm really passionate about sales. And that's why we started this company, because we realized that there is basically so many opportunities when you know how to crack the sales in China. And uh, so basically, if I if I take, uh, I would say, the journey of a company from beginning to, let's say, there is no end, but at least the biggest company in the world. When you start a company from zero, the first thing you need to do is to get new customer. And if I look at the journey of a company, so you get your first customer, then you get 10 customer, 100, and then you probably get a billion of dollars and then you go IPO or you can even go IPO before that. And basically, in the beginning, the main challenge is to find new clients. And if I look at companies like Microsoft or let's say the biggest company in the world, what do they do is basically key account management. So they already have huge customer and they maintain a relationship, they grow them, right? So this is about the sales in general. And what we do is for each type of company. So we mainly work with three types of company. The first one is startup or the companies who are entering China market or even Chinese company who want to enter abroad markets. 
Then the second type is more SME, between $1 to $10 million revenue in the country we are talking about. And then the last one is the big company. Okay, so we have those three types of companies. Each of them have their challenges and what we do with them is slightly different. So this is the first aspect I want to introduce. And the second aspect I want to introduce is in China, you have three types of companies. So you have international company. Some of them come MNC, right? Multinational company. You have Chinese private company. And then you have state-owned enterprise company. And actually, there is even 3.5 type of company because you have a last one that is called JV for joint venture between a multinational company and state-owned company or between a multinational company and Chinese company. I don't want to go too much in the detail, but just also for the audience, since this is a podcast that is related to China, I want to give this background. And basically, based on those two, we have clients in every type. So in those six types. So we have Chinese startup, we have foreign startup, Chinese SME, foreign SME, and Chinese state-owned enterprise as a very big group of more than 15,000 people and multinational companies in 10 industries actually now and we have more than 35 clients and our coaches are in six countries so us france china singapore australia and the last one is dubai so i'm mainly responsible to connect the people who want to make more business in china who are usually with international background and also help them to export and also i do the clients who are abroad wants to sell more abroad and my chinese partner is more responsible for developing the customer who are in china who want to go abroad so we use basically the language because my, my chinese is not fluent she's chinese so it's much easier and then all the people we onboard are for this purpose so that's to give you the the overview and in terms of the content what we do um, is only about sales so sometimes we have projects that they are a bit out of sales so for example we have public speaking project or how to help companies to hire the right people so for that we work with our partners or even for marketing uh, because I see marketing and sales as two expertise. So we also have our partner for marketing. So what we really do is about sales and we provide consulting, training and coaching. So consulting is really on how to assess how they sell today, what works, what doesn't work. Training is when we face a large group of people who want to learn a skill or want to change a specific behavior. So there is something in common. And the last one is about coaching. So one-on-one coaching or group coaching. And our goal is to empower people to change because we strongly believe that all the people, they have the resources and capabilities to change and be successful, uh, align with their company and personal goals. So we are basically coaching them so that they get the best version of themselves. So that's a little bit about the uh, the background of the company. And of course, I would be willing to answer more of your questions if you have something more specific you want to know. Absolutely. You mentioned being a mentor at China Accelerator. And for those who don't know, China Accelerator is the Y Combinator of Asia. How do you work with startups and founders? And how does that type of work, the process, the methodology, the teachings, how does that differ from the work that you're doing with, say, more corporate clients? That's a very good question. I love that. So first of all, I'm super grateful of being a mentor accelerator at China Accelerator. And actually now even I will become this year uh, expert in residence. So I will be there uh, two hours a week, between two to four hours a week for all the batch to answer to this specific question about sales and especially B2B sales. And why I'm so grateful is because they basically found me, right? So they were looking for someone who has some expertise in sales and they approached me I'm, I met them and they basically trust me to support all their startup there. And what I can see is the main difference between startups in general uh, not just from China Accelerator, because Chinese startups have most of the same challenge. And uh, I would say more traditional or SME companies that actually there are, there are two main differences. The first one is in terms of KPI. Uh, if we look at startup and we look at an 
traditional SME. A traditional SME usually is looking for profit, whereas startup is looking for growth because actually the exit is different, right? SME, you want to have, the founders want to have the cash. And for startup, the founder want to go to the next one of investment, right? I'm not saying startup don't want to look for profit. For sure, that's important. But all the profit are re-injected to the growth of the company. So that's the first difference. But this is not just a difference in China. It's a difference all over the world. And then the second difference is usually startups, at least at China, they have very strong product. They have been through a very intense screening. So they are being selected among hundreds of applicants. And the thing is, most of the time, those people, they have very strong technical background. Uh, and they might not know how to sell much, or at least most of our experience might not be about sales. So here is really the thing that we bring to them is the sales touch. So basically, no matter how good is your product, if you're not able to find the, the right way to sell it, it will not happen. So I think that is the main difference. Whereas I think for the small, medium-sized enterprise, the CEO has to be a good sales. Otherwise, the company would have died or one of the founder or one of the first employee was a very good sales. And then the challenge for them is how to make them good sales manager because most of the time, the best sales, they are not best sales manager. So this is the difference, I guess, um, in terms of startup and SME. And maybe the last one is because I'm currently working with startups who are raising funds. So round A, round B, even round C. So basically when they get this huge amount of cash, it's more on how to scale up the, the sales team super fast. Basically, hire 10 people at the same time. Uh, so whereas in SME is usually more traditional, so one by one or maybe batch of two or three people by batch by batch. So that is the difference I can see. Okay, got it. Thank you. I'm inspired to ask, would you mind maybe walking us through an example of the kind of work that you do you know, the, you know, maybe give us a particular client persona and then this is what they're struggling with and this is how I help them. Wonderful. So I will take a persona then of um, maybe small, medium sized enterprise. I think is the easiest to understand because it's in the middle, right? So the big companies, they can get it, they can relate. And also the small and, and startup can also relate. So the typical example is, first of all, how do they know us? So they know us most of the time, actually 90% of the time, through referrals. So it means that an existing client or someone who has worked with us is introducing us to that person. And usually with the keyword sales. So they have a sales problem, or at least they have a sales challenge, or they want to be more aggressive about sales. So that's how they know about us. And then the first time we meet them or we have a phone call with them, depending on which cities they are, we always go through a kind of consulting approach where we basically ask questions to really understand what's their current situation based on their sales funnel. What do they want? What are their goals in three, five years? And how do they plan to bridge the gap today? And then through the conversation of during the first hour or two, we don't say anything about our company. We don't introduce maybe even just five minutes at the beginning, just to break the ice, but that's it. And at the end, what we want is we really want to see what, where could be the bottlenecks. And then we identify whether or not we can help them. And if we can help them, we go ahead and we explain. And if we cannot help them, or if we believe there is someone that could help them better than us, we do the introduction or we involve them in the program. Because if there is one thing understood in China, and I think for sure we'll come back there later on, always under promise, over deliver. Because if you start to overpromise and under deliver, you're dead. Because it's so fast to lose reputation 
in China is, is just insane. So this is something we are super, super cautious and we always want to deliver the best value. And then basically after this first diagnosis consulting process, we give them um, our feedback about the area where they can improve for the first three months. And then basically we give them the proposal on how we could work together. So which coach could help them on what kind of topics, what kind of frequency. And then we basically start and we build on quick wins. So we use three types of methodology. The first one is from one of our mentors called Jack Daly. He's one of the top sales guru in the world. Um, super nice guy. And honestly, he's just amazing guy. If you want to increase your sales in US and Europe, just go to him. It's just amazing. And the second one is Scaling Up from Vernier Arnish, who is one of the founders of EO, Entrepreneur Organization, where many of our clients come from. And the last one is a book called Winning Well. Um, it's a very nice management book as well. And uh, we also use, of course, so many coaching techniques, like from positive intelligence, um, from the teacher of Stanford, uh, Mr. Uh, sorry if I pronounce, maybe I, I will pronounce this one properly, is Erwan Shamin. Hopefully I pronounced correctly. Um, and basically, yeah, we use all those methodologies to help them. So those methodologies, most of the time, are, are coming from the West, or let's say US and, and China, um, Europe, sorry. And then we bring our experience from China to make the bridge because what we realize is for the Chinese pure entrepreneurs, they use very Chinese mindset and for the foreign entrepreneur, they use pure Western mindset. So actually we, we make the bridge between the two to make sure that uh, they, they get basically the maximum sales. And if we talk about a typical persona for us, actually we have very diverse clients. So it's, it's challenging, but I would say maybe we have three persona. The first persona is a company that has been able to grow to 50, 100 people in China, but they don't know why they, they have this kind of roof and it's hard for them to go above. So they really are looking for someone external who can basically tell them what's what's wrong and what can be improved. That's the first persona. The second persona is, is big multinational brands or let's say large companies, and they have uh, this very big sales organization and they wanted to make it more effective because of the competition. Because year after year, competition is more and more fierce. They lose market share or they just don't know how to get new clients or how to take care of their existing clients. So they are looking for, let's say, more dynamism, more, more energy. And then the last type of client, as I mentioned earlier, is more for the startups. And for them, is basically how to enter. And if I, if I forget the word startup, because startup for some people might be related to technology, uh, any companies that want to enter to China, how to basically get from zero to one, so who to talk to, who could be the right partner, um, is there a market fit in this region? So for that part, we work also with a network of partners to basically introduce them to the, the right person. Um, and yeah, and, and maybe the end also to give the results, because I think people want to hear about the results. Um, first of all, since we started a bit more than two years ago, we still have all of our clients. So it means that nobody stopped. Uh, so our churn rate is zero. And uh, this is something we are very proud of. And all of them, they have more sales. And the most shiny part is actually our first client. They have six times more revenue uh, the year after we started. Uh, we have also clients that have 50% more sales and they were they are selling coffee. And you know that during COVID, um, people could not go out. So this is quite, I would say, amazing accomplishment. And another of our clients, after seven years, having no growth will double this year. So just yeah, a few data to also uh, give some perspective. And why I mentioned those data is because they are public on my LinkedIn accounts. They gave us, uh, they gave me personal recommendation and also give us public recommendation. So if people want to know more, 
uh, they can go to the recommendation part and see all those data. Okay, great. Thank you. I want to I, I want to go back a little bit. I want to kind of set a a stage the the B two B selling landscape. So, could you maybe talk to us a little bit if you know how B two B selling was done historically in China? There is a keyword. I'm quite sure people already mentioned before. This keyword is called Guanxi. So, Guanxi means um, everything that is related to relationship people in, in general. And what does it mean? Actually, it means that in the past. People were used to make business through guanxi. Means if you know someone and you trust someone, then you make business with that person. So that's why, actually, until probably the year of 2000, there was not so much uh, digital, of course, but there was even not so much um, organization or let's say like in the West where you have all those public events. It was mainly private. So I would say business to business was done basically in a bar or the KTV at that because today is KTV, but just to give the representation here. And for the fair, there, there were definitely some fair, but usually the business was done before the fair or after the fair. It was not done so much in the fair compared to, to the rest, right? So I think this is the just to give also the background. And also, of course, everyone knows the huge progress of Chinese economy in the last 20 years with all those technology, etc. But I have the Again, I have a friend who's in China for more than 30 years, and he was telling me that basically in the year 2000, when you were in Beijing and you wanted to make some business with the government, the best thing to do was to drink Baijiu and spend long nights um, having fun. And then at the end, you would leave with the contract just before you come back home. So that, that was really the historical way of doing business in China. So let's fast forward. How is B2B selling done now in China? How is it different? So actually now... Maybe the key one is really about digital. Um, so it's super digitalized. Mm. And I will give, I, mm-hmm. I want to give some stories. I want to give some examples there. So I will start first with um, one of our clients' clients. Uh, so our clients is providing information system. Okay, so they provide ways for multinational and Chinese companies to better manage their information. So they modernize their information system. And one of their clients uh, who is in FNB, actually they made a system for their sales people. And in the past, the salespeople, they were responsible, for example, to give the discounts or to be able to fix the right price. And that was done manually, or I would say sales by sales. And then when COVID happened, they could not visit the clients. So they had to change. So actually, COVID was really um, um, a big change also in China. Early 2019 um, was not, early 2020, sorry. And um, basically, they realized that they needed a system to take care of all the price, discount, and also client relationship. So within a few weeks, and this is also something that our listeners should be aware of, is in China, everything is fast. When I say fast, it's a matter of days or weeks uh, for a system to come and for people to change behavior. Um, it's, it's just like, honestly, it's the fastest country in the world for that part. And um, they basically were able to come up with a new system where they were using, of course, WeChat and all the existing software to come up with a fast way to communicate with their clients. And since then, actually, what I can see is that the shift stays because right now, um, the sales, they are using digital tools to communicate with the clients. And WeChat is definitely a huge part of that. But at the same time, they like to keep the relationship. So actually, the sales, instead of doing all those proposals and all this, let's say, back-end work, most of their time is spent client-facing to make sure that the customer engagement is high. So that's the first example I wanted to share. The second example I want to share is in healthcare industry. Um, so we have salespeople 
who basically have to go to the hospitals to do the sales. And here the same problem happened. During COVID, they were not able to meet the doctors, right? So similar, even in this industry that is known to be more traditional, they were also able to put some software and some link between the hospital and the sales so that they were able to do their job. Um, so that's really the key word for me now is, is digital. Everything is through WeChat. Everything is uh, digitalized. Um, so that's why WeChat work is, is so important right now. And also everything, so that is more in B2B. And then if I just give you a small intro about B2C, of course, we have all those platforms like Shao Hongshu, uh, all those live streaming events. And I want to I wanna share this example because honestly, that fascinates me. Uh, it's one friend of mine and they are selling um, uh, agricultural, agricultural products, okay? And actually, it could be considered that B2B because actually the, the farmers usually, they are in some groups or association and they buy by bulk in groups. So before it was used to, to be super traditional, right? So you go to the uh, group of, of basically farmers and you buy big quantity of the products you will use in your fields or for your animals, right? And right now, you know how do they buy? They buy because they go on live streaming events. They see those people who explain the products and then on that specific moment, there is a discount and they just buy it. So they buy with their phone. So can be, I mean, farmers, right? Farmers 10 years ago, they probably didn't have phone and they were used to go through the association or, or the groups to buy their products. And right now they buy with their phone on TikTok or Sharon Shu or doing. So that, that is how fast it's moving. Yeah. I mean, that that's the one thing I think anybody who's ever left China has thought, I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in molasses wherever I am or wherever I've gone, because everything just seems to go so slow after you leave. I can definitely attest to that. Having moved back to Canada, there's this kind of reverse culture shock of actually having to slow down to be able to not get so many speeding tickets and traffic over here. Uh, and I'm using that metaphorically, although sometimes literally as well. Um, <laughs> I, um, I find it interesting when you mentioned WeChat, and I, I want to ask you a little bit because I'm such a fan of WeChat. I loved that tool. It came out during my time in China, fell in love, and I thought it was the the greatest gift to anybody who loves tech. And I, I, I just uh, I thought it was so useful, and I used it. I'm going to say at least 30 or 40 percent of my day when I was working there, I was always on WeChat, but actually working. And I've um, had experience looking even at retail where the, the you know, the people who work in the retail outlets would be seen on their phones all the time. And the natural assumption, especially from the Western perspective, is that they're uh, they're killing time. They're, sc they're scrolling social media. They're texting with their friends. They're not working. When, in fact, I was told, actually, a lot of what they are doing is WeChatting with clients, telling them about new products that have come in and what's going on. And they've got some things in their size or some, you know, there's some sales coming. They're actually kind of running some background, uh, you know, kind of low drip style kind of uh, campaign on on WeChat, letting people know and doing sales there. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, just WeChat and some of the digital platforms and just how impactful and useful they are for sales? I love the example you gave because I have seen that quite often as well. Uh, every time you go to a shop and actually last, when was it, two weeks ago? My wife was in a in a shop and she was trying some dress. And you know, sometimes um, women they try a dress, they are not so sure. So they basic she basically wanted to run away from the shop and say, "Oh, let's see later." And what the sales did, she's before she said, "Oh, wh why don't I have your WeChat? Maybe you can add me and I can keep in touch with you." 
She said, yeah, sure. Let me add your WeChat. So she added the WeChat and within the, the next hour, she sent some photos of, of her that she took with her dress saying, wow, you look marvelous. And, uh, you know, let's keep in touch for the new product to arrive. And now since then, uh, every two, three days, she receives some photos of the latest dress that, that comes. And of course, in WeChat, there is this thing called moments that they also can use by tagging the people about the dress that they like. And, and I'm quite sure within the next two to three weeks, my wife will come back. I'm, I'm 100% because that's... They, they really care about her and they, I mean, they care about her. They probably use a nice tag and they have those photos uh, for her to, to see based on her taste and, and color. But this is the, the way it's done. Um, when you arrive in a store, they put you in a, in a system when you leave in WeChat and then they keep you there. So that's their almost like a CRM, customer relationship management. So that is in, in retail, in, in even like in fashion. But when we look at all the industries, it's the same. Um, I have clients in F&B and I, Every, every time they visit a customer, they invite them to their, uh, they invite them to follow their WeChat accounts where they can have information about the company. Uh, I even laugh with a, another client who is selling um, alcohol beverages is actually use moments to leverage discounts and offers because he is selecting a group of potential clients and he say, oh, within tomorrow you have this uh, wonderful coupon, 15% discount if you can buy. And the thing is, in moments, usually it's addressable to the to the group, to all the people. And and why he's so smart is because he, he makes it one by one. So depending on the clients, what they say, what they like, one by one is making moments so that the client feel, oh my God, it's for everyone. But actually, it's just for them and they buy. They feel of missing out. So that is how strong the technology is. Is um, you, you can really make it uh, a tool uh, for you to really engage with your customers. And also it's, yeah, it's basically photo-driven. So I'm not saying it's like Instagram for sure, but the moment is so powerful. So if you if you open a profile of someone, then you check his, his or her moments and you can see the moments from the past. You can see what he or she loves. You can see where he or she have been. So this is just a, a wonderful touch point tool. I, I hope my stories can can give you some, yeah, some metaphor and, and image on how it's being used. Absolutely. And, you know, that might be a key part of the answer or some part of the answer of my next question, which is really kind of can you compare sales techniques or at least tease out the main differences that our listeners might want to be aware of or understand the differences between how sales are done in the West and how sales are done there in the East? So if I take the angle of B2B sales, I think the main difference is, I would say it's about trust. And I give, I, I always give this sentence and it's a bit provocative, okay? So it's a bit extreme, but it's for people to get it. I'm not saying this is exactly like that. I'm just saying uh, this is a good way to understand. I usually say in Europe, or even in US, first you make business, then you become friends. And why I'm saying that, because I have done business with Europeans, Americans in Europe, uh, or even now with US, and this is the way it works. They contact you usually from LinkedIn or social media or someone introduce you, they ask you what you do, they seem convinced, they sign a deal. And then along the way, we, we start to become friends. So there is a relationship that is building. In China, first you become friends, then you make business. And I'm going to illustrate that by one of the story of, of one of our clients now. So I know her for five years. And the first time I met her, obviously, I didn't have a company. I, I was still the sales manager in my old company, right? But still, I made friendship. And after five years, she grew in her company that is a, that is a government company. And basically, she had a training need. And the first person that she contacted was me. And she contacted me by saying this, this sentence. I quote her. She said, Johan, you're my friend. I know you are doing training. I'm going to work with you. This is what I want. What can you do? So there were no bidding, as well as a government company. Uh, there was... 
there was just the trust. The trust was there because she knew after five years about my character, about my values, about the way I treated her and I care about her. And, and she trusted me. And she even said during the meeting, listen, Yuan, I'll be very frank with you. If we don't do a good job, I probably lose my job because that's the first time we do this kind of huge program to all the top talents of my company. So we definitely need to, need to make it happen. And uh, so you need to tell me if we cannot do it, that's fine. But if you can do it, I trust you. I, I will not even look at what you do. And I say, I can do it. And this is how we do it. And, and trust me, your, your boss will be proud of you. And this is what we did. We organized a full day training uh, with a huge room uh, together with my business partner. And we deliver um, an explosive training. And the boss was super happy. And she was happy. And she's probably going to get promoted this year. And this is the way it works. When people trust you, they basically give you the key. They, they almost give you the credit card. Uh, although they don't have the credit card, but you see the metaphor, right? So I think that's that's a huge difference. Uh, it's really about trust. Um, and this is also the way I think now. I will never compromise the integrity for business, any kind of business, any kind of money, if I have even like 1% doubt that it might go wrong. So I have to be sure. Or at least I have to trust someone uh, to make it happen. So that's the big difference that I can see. What are the main takeaways when you're when you're coaching? And you know, even maybe therein, what are the main points that you find that you have to consistently reinforce or that are just maybe more difficult for your client or, or your, whoever you're working with? What is the most difficult thing for them to download or wrap their head around when you're trying to, you know, bring them up to the level you want them to be at? Wow. That's, uh, that's a big question. First of all, I want to say something is China is big. And because China is big is different cities, different region, different scenarios. Okay. And, and the way to illustrate that is we have something called tier, right? So you have tier one cities such as Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen. We have tier two cities, tier three cities, right? So j- just thinking about that, we are, we are talking about three different market within the same country. Because the way people buy in Shanghai, Beijing is not the same way as people buying relatively uh, smaller cities. And when I say smaller cities, it means 10 to 15 million people. And it's not the same way that people buy in, let's say, one to five million people cities, right? So that's that's the first thing I really want to explain to people. The second thing I want to explain is it depends on the on the scope because you have Chinese company you say in China, you have, um, let's say, foreign companies want to sell in China, then you have Chinese company who want to sell abroad. So I think for each of those, again, it's something different. But if I take each example and I try to illustrate, for Chinese company who want to sell more in China, I think the main challenge for them is that they have been used to this guanxi for the last 10, 15 years. And now with the emerging of the new technology and all this competition, they need to reinvent themselves. And they also need to be able to take some methodologies from the West, or at least from other countries to scale, which is something that they were probably not used to do before. So actually what they are looking for when they are working with us is to bring this openness and this, I would say, agility, because we will not teach them how to do guanxi. They have, to do it. They have done it for the last 15 years, but they, but they are curious. They want to know how other companies do. They want to know how other countries do, because they know if they are not being curious now, probably in two or three years, their competitor will, and they will be out of the game. So that's that's one example. If I if I look at rich international companies who really want to sell more in China, although they have Chinese staff, but actually what we realize is the Chinese staff, they spend most of their life working in rich national company. And why? Because otherwise they would not pass the interview because the culture gap would be too different. So actually it's almost like you have a foreign entity that is composed by Chinese citizens trying to sell to a different market. So here what they are looking for is they are looking for understanding like how 
my Chinese customer think. And when I say Chinese customer, I mean Chinese private company and Chinese state-owned company because they also realize that the pool of multinational companies uh, is for sure is really big, but it's not as big as the whole China, right? And then the last one is for Chinese company who want to go abroad. Uh, what they are looking in our coaching is how to bridge the gap. So they are used to make a business in a way in China, but then when they try to replicate, it doesn't work. And there are also a lot of different tools such as Facebook, all the tools in, in the West, right? So how to use those tools, how to choose the right people abroad. And there have been so many companies who told me, listen, Yuan, we, we try to work with Chinese abroad, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work because they, they, they are trying to basically take advantage of us. So with the language... They are using the trust, but then at the end, they, they don't deliver or even worse, they, are, they don't have good integrity. So actually, we are looking for foreigners that we can trust. And language is not a barrier. We all speak English, but how to find the right people, how to find people that have integrity and how to basically help them to understand what we do so that they can develop a business in their market for what the market needs. So here you can see, and, and again, this is taking into consideration a, a single tire. So if you sell in Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Beijing, but if you try to sell in a different tire, so you have different uh, customer persona, you have different buyer habits. So I know, for example, a company that is super successful in, in those big cities, and they have tried to enter in, in medium or small cities, and it was complete failure because the, the competition was able to provide the same level of products at a time uh, at a price that is twice cheaper, and the customer were not able to understand because they, they were not educated, they didn't know that brand, and they didn't have that awareness, right? So it's, it really depends on the case. It really depends on the goal. And always what we try to do is uh, to go deep. Like, how does the end customer think? What's the situation there? Who do we know that might know better than us? And, and what do they need to see or what do they need to do to be closer to the end customer? Because if they are closer to the end customer, no matter your business, you will be successful. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those end customers and specifically the behaviors and how they might differ from those in the West. So Chinese buyers, uh, and, and I mean, you can talk to B2B or B2C as you wish, but how do Chinese buyers behave differently than buyers that you know of from the West? Last year, end of last year, I gave a lesson about sales to a university. And why I like that? Because I like to teach. I, I usually do it 5 10% of my time. So I teach to MBA, EMBA at Fudan Jiaotong, and I also teach at... Um, business school, French business school in, in, in China called EMU, the city that I also have studied. And actually, I, I can tell you that, that, that is really something that I was amazed. So there is this 21 years old uh, student and I was giving a class about sales. And then in the middle of the class, she raised the hand and said, teacher, Yuan, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, for sure. I said, have you ever heard about this platform? And she said the platform um, name that I forgot, but then I said, never heard. What is this platform? Actually, this is a platform. They can, they can do exactly what you said in the last hour with one click. And then the whole class becomes silence. And, and they were scared for her. They said, oh my God, she, she's saying something like that to the teacher. She's just going to get pissed. And then, and then I, I gave her this huge smile. I said, that's amazing. Why you didn't say, tell me earlier, tell, tell, tell us more. Then she, she stood up. She went to the, to the place where I was teaching and she opened on the computer this platform. And basically with this platform, you could compare the price for these single items all over the city in China, in all the different suppliers, and they were able to tell you where to find this at the cheapest price. And I was amazed. And I told her, I said, that, that's just amazing. How, how do you find this kind of platform? And they say, well, I was just following some KOL, key opinion leader, about this field. And one of them likes to, to share different hacks and tricks. And he was sharing, like, basically, that was where to find bags. Okay, Because at that time, we're, this is a, a master about 
high-end luxury products. So they were talking about bags. And now, basically, I, we know where to find this bag at the cheapest price. So there is this level of technology and awareness, especially in the young generation, that, that just blew my mind. So they are able to find on the internet through the different f- forums and platforms Basically, they're able to find the best product at the cheapest price. So right now, it's not so much about putting your product everywhere on the market. It's more about using the social media. And here I'm talking more about B2C, okay, to, to demonstrate how your product is being used and why it's being so good. And right now, I was thinking that B2B is still far from that, but actually it's getting there very, very fast. Because also B2B platform, uh, they are basically blossoming. And there are more and more platforms where... Of course, you have Alibaba, uh, but then there are more and more platforms or there are more and more forums where they talk about the products. So this is really how they, they behave is they already know before to contact you. They made their research. They heard from their friends. So it's really about making your clients uh, your raving fans. I think that's a very big difference. Um, in China, I have never met someone who, who didn't hear about the product they want to buy. They almost always know. In the West, public speaking is definitely a difficult thing for some. It's actually a difficult thing for many. And as we know, it's most people's greatest fear. How is public speaking perceived in China? And is speaking in public as a part of sales? Is that something? And you, you mentioned earlier talking about Toastmasters and stuff like that. What is the arena of public speaking? What does that look like? In China, what do you have to do? What do you have any process in place? I mean, there's so much to ask about this and the public, you know, the fear of public speaking. And I think it is probably somewhat elevated in China as well, uh, where maybe the uh, natural tendency is to sit back a little bit. Um, do they have uh, any issues? Do they have similar issues, less, more? What What does that arena look like as far as public speaking is concerned when it comes to sales and the impact on sales in China? It's funny because in the last two weeks, I have two people contact me for this topic. Okay, So the first one is a huge bank, is a foreign bank. And their challenge is that their executives, senior executives, they have challenges to communicate with the headquarter. What does it mean? Is It means when they disagree, they usually don't say it. And even they disagree, it's hard for them to illustrate their, their, I would say, the way they think and the facts. And the second example is for a PE firm that actually they realized that they found amazing projects in China for investment, but the executives were not able to say it in a proper way so that the investment committee that is in US uh, could take the decision. So here in this case would be um, Chinese people who have to communicate in English and they have challenges, although their English level is perfect. So that's one example. Here in this example, what I can see is that the culture is still um, very strong and the culture of being afraid to say no. So they don't want people to lose the face. So there is this very famous expression about lose the face. And lose the face meaning I cannot say in public that I disagree. Whereas in Europe or US, in the way we are educated, uh, debating is it's a very important skill. Being able to have, I would not say critical thinking. I think definitely Chinese people have a lot of critical thinking and they are amazing negotiators. But it's more about being confident or let's say being free to disagree. So that's one angle. So definitely public speaking is a challenge on, on this end for them. Another angle I want to share is the first time actually I went to Qingdao, I still remember it, 2016. I was visiting a Chinese company selling tires, okay? And I arrived in this meeting room, and I'm telling you, the meeting room is huge. 60 seats in a long table. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's a nice meeting room. Like, probably we're not go there, but we were there. So we, we were three people, and they invited 25 staffs. 
25. Okay, so we are three people talking to 25 people. And, and probably most of them didn't even know what we were talking about or didn't even know why we were here. But because they had a big meeting room, they needed to make it, to make it full. And they had this, uh, this stage where you can speak. And I still remember of showing the PPT to, to this huge room. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's something. And, and basically nobody was looking at me. Everyone was looking at their computer. And at the end, they said, wow, that's a very nice presentation. And they asked many questions. So they were probably talking to each other, to each other to figure out what could be the tricky question to ask me. So again, very different um, way to, to speak compared to what I was traditionally uh, used, to, used to do. And the last example I want to share is I was in Guiyang 2019 uh, for the big data fair. And I gave a speech about the different startups and the technology with the West, the East. And just before me, there was someone from the government. And the way he introduced himself was very interesting. He arrived at the stage and he made this uh, respectful gesture. So he basically bent in front of the audience. People clap. And then he went behind the, the stage to speak and he started the speech. And at the end of the speech, he came back and he gave the same respect posture. And that was the first time I saw it. Actually, uh, this very government way of doing, because he was speaking to government officials in, in Guayang. That was the same in Xi'an, by the way. So then I realized this is something common. So I did the same posture and people were amazed and they were clapping and, and, and they could not stop clapping. I think they were really happy that as a foreigner, I was taking that into the, the tradition. And then I gave the speech. So what I can see is that there are definitely some codes and something that is different. And usually the, the way public speaking is introduced is, is a bit more structured and there are a lot more text compared to Western way. But it's definitely a challenge for, even though for experienced Chinese people to speak in public, because you have so many codes, so many um, things to follow. And also the, the audience can be quite big, so it can be quite intimidating. So yeah, definitely it's a challenge. And what I can see is that more and more companies, they are taking public speaking classes and programs to make sure that their employees are able to communicate them message in a fast and concise way. Definitely a challenge. Yuan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a, a brilliant conversation. You really delivered on a lot of great education and information and really did a great job coaching, I think, our entire audience on how to do sales in China. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. That was a real pleasure. I think your questions were super open-minded and also uh, even for me, a good reflection on, on what I'm doing on a daily basis. So thank you so much for having me. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jian.